Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, It's a phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Introducing Amanda Acker. Today, she's going to talk about how her life spiraled out of control and how she survived it. Amanda, welcome. Hi. Hey. Oh my God. I'm like obsessed with you. I have been like <laughs> listening to you all day. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. When you're messaging me, I was like, told my husband, I was like, where is she finding this stuff? Like, when did I say that? <laughs> I know it's totally out of context, but I was like listening to all your podcasts and I was just taking notes of the things that spoke to me. <laughs> well, it's nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Some of that stuff that you shared on your personal like reflections, like you said, you had no idea that people stuck tobacco up their butt to get that into yeah. prison. Yeah. Me either. <laughs> And then too, it's funny, you actually answer a lot of the things that I wanted to ask in, in your podcast. So another thing was like, I'm like, oh my God, like if you're pregnant in prison, what do you do for pregnancy cravings? Like, I know I craved Ugh. all kinds of crazy shit and bologna sandwiches ain't going to cut it. Like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And meanwhile, I hate bologna. So it was not, it was not good. Yeah. When you're pregnant in jail, like forget about it. Like you're literally like you can't like there's unless you have money for commissary to like get stuff which I didn't like you don't have anything I remember like some of my like the cellmates and stuff would like make their called chi chis so it's like ramen noodles and like you mix it with like whatever you got and that was like a me I remember like eating it and going oh my gosh this is so good and now if I were to eat that I'd probably throw up but that's how like desperate you are you know like you just you want something you know <laughs> you'll eat anything. That's really funny. Cause I interviewed another lady who went to prison and she was talking about how she can make so many meals out of ramen noodles. Yeah. So true. They're so gross too. My kids love them. I'm like, Mine too. totally I'm dinner. But then like when my two-year-old asked for them, I'm kind of like, do I want to give him that? I'm like, I'll just boil you like rainbow pasta from Trader Joe's like that yeah. feels better. Yeah. It's not so salty. Ramen is so salty. And like my son, he like loves ramen, but he was born with a heart condition. So like I freak out. I was like, I really don't think you should be eating that, but. Uh, oh my gosh. Tell me about that. He's 15 now. And whenever he was born, he had a heart murmur. So the pediatrician uh, recommended us to a cardiologist. And when we took him there, they found he had a hole in his heart and they had to do surgery before he was two. So he had open heart surgery and they removed a membrane. And then he was probably five or six and they had to do another open heart surgery and they had to completely replace his valve. Like he was like unconscious for an obscene amount of time. It was one of the most stressful, horrible things I've had to go through. Like seeing my baby like with his chest open because I couldn't close it right away, just like on a breathing machine was horrific. And then later on he had to go in for, they did a, they did like an IV one where they had to go in. I forget what they had to do exactly, 
Um, but that wasn't open heart. It was easier, but he's still in the hospital for a good bit after that. But now he's been fine ever since. Like he hasn't had to have any more surgeries. He gets checked once a year, but yeah, like he doesn't, you wouldn't know, like you would have no idea. Like it doesn't inhibit him in any way, but like he can't play like contact sports or anything like that. Cause he can't get hit right in the chest. Wow. That's really interesting because my firstborn mm-hmm. son also was born with a murmur and mm-hmm. he's 13. I mean, all the doctors rush the room yeah. and, um, You're like what's happening. <laughs> yeah. It, it, and especially with your firstborn child, you're just like even more scared. Yeah. But his healed up, like mm-hmm. the whole closed on its own. Actually, oh, my, my husband had one too, and his also healed up. So apparently that can happen. Yeah. And then I remember like the moment where I think it was his, it was his second, the second open heart surgery that he had. One of the parents were allowed to go in with him when they were putting him on anesthesia and he chose me. And it was like, I remember being in there and trying to say, okay, stay strong. Like, don't, don't lose your shit, you know? And then as soon as I left, like me and his dad were not together at this point, but all I, all I did was I just hugged his dad and I was like, I can't like, this is horrible. It was so traumatic. I haven't talked about that yet, but yeah, it was very traumatic. Oh my God. I mean, he's so young. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh my God. He must've been scared. Did did he try to be brave? Yeah. My son is pretty resilient. He always has been so great. But I remember whenever he had to have the whole valve replacement, when he finally woke up and they took the tube out, he was just like, I want fruit salad. And it was the cutest thing. I remember just going, oh my gosh, we're going to get you fruit salad like right now. (laughs) It's just, yeah. Yeah. I feel like kids handle serious situations better because they really don't fully understand like how dangerous something is. Yeah, they don't, you know, like now he's more fearful. Like every time we have to go for his checkup, like as he gets older, he gets more scared. Like, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to have surgery. He has a hard time going to hospitals in general because of it, just like certain smells and stuff will like trigger him. So it's caused him anxiety, obviously, but it, you know, still like he doesn't talk about it. Like He's pretty good with it. Like I said, he's really resilient, but you know, I think that as he becomes more aware of what has happened to him, it scares him now, but it didn't when he was real little. So, oh man, I'm like, we got to take it to the beginning. Although I know you on your show, break it up into chunks, which I, Mm -hmm. I feel like every episode of your podcast is like a cliffhanger. I'm like, (laughs) was that intentional? So that was kind of, it's intentional, but kind of not. So my husband, like when I first started my podcast, I was like, well, the first episode is going to be my story. And he was like, babe, like, what if you did like a series where you chunk it out and you tell like parts of it and you leave people like wanting more. And I was like, Ooh, that's a good idea. So that's what I did. <laughs> Cause that's what guys like, right? <laughs> Well, also your husband is an audio engineer. I saw that. Yes. So he edits. Yeah. He the edits good everything. sound of your podcast. Yeah. yeah. And all of my equipment. Like if it wasn't for him, I'd probably be doing everything from my cell phone thinking I sounded good. But I know so much about sound now. Like when I listen to podcasts, I'm like, ooh, like they're clicking. Oh, you know, like I notice things. I'm like, why did you do this to me, babe? Now I can't just listen to things. I hear everything now. <laughs> 
it's funny because after I listen to yours and then, you know, you listen to sometimes the guests who don't use the mic or they use their earbuds or it's hard though, because people don't realize how important that is. Yeah, they don't. And, you know, and I think too, like some of the equipment, well, at least what I have is pretty expensive. I'm like, it's whatever. Like, as long as I can understand you, like we're good, you know? (laughs) So I don't want to like put restrictions on my guests, so to speak. But I will say from my husband's perspective, he's like, you really need (laughs) to tell people they need at least a microphone, like something. One thing I heard you say too, is that by telling your story, you felt naked. Mm -hmm. I I feel like the way that you're telling your story, (laughs) you are being very brave. I don't feel like everyone is comfortable sharing like that. Can you talk about what made you want to share in that way? It's hard to explain because I never really sat down and thought about it, but I will say over my life. So when I would meet new people, I was always just like telling my life story to people. I would always be like, blah, 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 blah. And my husband one day was like, you really need to stop doing that. And he's like, you can't like just make friends and tell people all your dirty laundry. But at the end of the day, like, honestly, it helps me. It helps me deal with what I've been through because I've been through a lot of shit and I think for my own sanity, I have to get it off my chest. And that's why I'm doing it that way. Cause I just literally like, I have to talk about it. It was like, I got to a point in my life when, you know, right before I launched the podcast where I was like, if I don't tell this story, like my story, I'm going to burst. And I, it is vulnerable. It is like, I am literally naked, like standing in front of the world, like telling my stuff, but I want to help people. And I want to know people to know that they're not alone and you can go through a lot of shit and still wake up. The next day and be okay. Also, I heard you say that you always wanted to be liked and that you can have a conversation with anybody on Zoom, but in real life, it's something totally different. I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Like if me and you, if this was in real life, I'd be like, oh hey, hey Rena. Hi, thank you so much. I, I don't really know what to say. <laughs> like it would be really bad. And I don't understand that. Like I can talk to, I have friends who are, I have a friend in South Africa, New Zealand, like all these different countries, but in real life, I don't have friends. I don't have real life friends beside my husband. (laughs) I don't. Have you been like that since a kid? Yes. Ever since I was a kid, like I've had a hard time. I can't handle more than one friend at a time. So like what would happen is I would get really close to someone and then they would make other friends. And then I would feel like I was being pushed aside because they never integrated me with their new friends. So I was always just left by myself. So I just kind of learned that that's just who I am. And I had to learn how to survive on my own. And that's what I've been doing since I can remember. I just I'm like, okay, nobody likes me. That's cool. I'll just like sit here and pretend like I don't care. Meanwhile, I go home and cry, but that's okay. But yeah, that's been my whole life. It's been an uphill battle, like trying to make relationships. And then I did make a really good friend and she's who I got in all the trouble with. You know, my parents divorced at age 15. I had a boyfriend back then, but we broke up and then I made friends with her. And that's kind of what our friendship, we were so close. And I remember like, we were like sisters, we were inseparable and then drugs entered our lives and it all just went shit. I feel like the way that you kind of told your story was like that you were like this goody two-shoe, you were making good grades, you wanted to be an English teacher. And I actually see that like in your writing and the way that you speak. 
you're a very good storyteller. So I was like, what's crazy is that it just completely spiraled out of control by like wanting to be a party girl, like wanting to be cool. And like, you found this friend that you felt like could do that for you. And she did. I mean, I got what I wanted, (laughs) you know, I got what I wished for, you know, and I was, I was a bookworm. Like I was the kid up until age 15 that literally I was, I was reading my textbooks to the point where I'd be through the whole textbook by the time we would be on like chapter four. Like I was obsessed with learning and just, I loved it. I remember math was my favorite thing in the whole wide world. And I would get so excited to get my new math book and I would flip to the back and see all like the questions and try and see if I could figure it out. Like that's just who I was. And then my whole life, I mean, it's not go that way for after that period. But yeah, that's who I was. I was shy. I didn't talk to boys. I was the one making all the little heart scribbles in my notebooks and all the crushes I had. Like one day it was for like five different boys. Like I love all of you. But that's just who I was. I just I couldn't handle social situations at all. Did you talk to your parents about that? So when you bring up my parents, my mother and I were very close. But she would always tell me when I made a friend, she would find something wrong with them. Like, oh, they're a weirdo or, oh, you know, I don't like that she swears or how she dresses. Like she would just put down my friends, like people who I thought were good. So it would destroy those friendships because she was in my head. And looking back now, knowing what I know about myself, I was being brainwashed. Like I wasn't allowed to watch certain, certain shows because she didn't like them. I wasn't allowed to, you know, we would go to the mall and she would buy clothes for herself, but not me and my sister. Like it was, you know, things that you wouldn't notice as a kid that as you get older, you're like, Oh, and I mean, now me and my mom are fine. Like we're, we're close and everything, but you know, we had a period of time where we weren't. And then my father, he was there, like he didn't abuse us or anything like that, but he wasn't available. So I never felt comfortable going to my dad with, you know, I'm hurting or because my mother has irritable bowel syndrome. So she would have moments where she'd be in so much pain. Like I'm talking, like had to call 911, like bad as I was growing up. And my dad would always say, Oh, you're making a big deal out of nothing. Oh, it's all in your head. So anytime I would have a feeling, I would be like, Oh, it's nothing. Like it's in my head. Like this isn't isn't right. I can't talk about it. So I felt, you know, looking back, like, I think I felt like I didn't have a voice. I wasn't allowed to have emotions or friends or anything. So I just kind of kept my head down for that reason too, other than being enormously shy. So how wasn't your dad available? So my dad is a fisherman. He had, he was a bricklayer. So like, he was always in the basement, like yeah, tying flies. I normally say that backwards. So I was like, really think about it. He's not flying ties. He's tying flies. He, or he'd be on the phone with a friend or he'd be smoking cigars in the basement. Like he just wasn't, I can't remember besides from when I was really small. I don't remember him really being involved. Like my mother would take us to Kennywood with my grandmother. Like we would go shopping on the weekends and my dad stayed home. Like there was a separation there. So I just never felt like a strong connection to him, but I always wanted the connection. So it was kind of like daddy issues, I guess you'd call it. (laughs) Do you have any like fond memories of your parents together? 
Yeah, I, I would say when we were young, like we would go, there's a lake near us called Pine and Tooming. And like every summer we'd go there. And I remember like playing in the water with my sister, but it's weird. Cause like my memories, I don't have memories of like my mom playing with us. I don't have memories of my dad playing with us. It was always me and my sister, like off by ourselves. And my parents were in their own little world. So it was kind of like there was, there was a separation, but I don't really know why. What's your sister like? Did she have a similar situation in school or? Well, my sister is a completely different person than me by every sense of the word. She is, I don't speak to her. I haven't spoken to my sister in, wow, like two, three years now, I want to say. And not that we had some blowout fight, but she has, I don't want to like talk about her, you know, in a negative light, but she has mental health issues. So she was always she would embarrass me all the time. Like I remember like being a kid and like, she'd be like, you're so pretty, you're so popular. And I wasn't like she, and like now, like if I were to talk to her, you're rich, like, and just like make me feel like, well, wait, but I'm not. And it, it just makes me feel uncomfortable. But she was out of the house by the time my parents divorced and my sister and my mom fought like cats and dogs. Like It was bad. Like I remember days where my sister and my mom would be going at it that I would just hide in the playroom and just like play. And my sister got made fun of very badly. Like it was, she was traumatized. Let's put it that way. But she would never, like my mom tells me the story now where something happened on the school bus and my mom called the school and they were going to have this meeting. And my grandfather was a cop. So they were all going to like go to the school together and they show up and my sister says nothing happened. So (laughs) yeah, we don't, you know, we were close growing up by all means, she was my best. She was one of my best friends growing up. I love her to death, but I have to keep that separation for my own sanity right now. It doesn't mean it's going to stay that way, but for right now, I I just, I can't just too much. It's scary, you know? And, you know, now that I have kids and I, you know, my daughter, she's eight, you know, my son doesn't care. Honestly, my son can get made fun of every day. He just wouldn't give a shit. He's going to do what he wants. But my daughter, like she, she has a friend right now and she'll come home like, well, she said that, you know, I have a big head and I'm like, what? Or that I look like a rabbit and all this stuff. And I'm like, I, I don't want her to go through that, but it doesn't seem to bother her. Like, it's strange. Like I keep putting myself in her shoes. Like that would, that did, I did, I got told I had a big head and it bothered me, (laughs) but it doesn't bother you. Like, that's great. But at the same time, like, I wonder if she's like kind of sugarcoating so that I don't say anything to the teacher or something like that. But yeah, it's, it's hard being a kid. It is really fucking hard being a kid. (laughs) It's really hard being a kid, but it's also really hard being a parent. Yes, it is. Cause you worry all the time, right? Like I'm constantly on high alert, like constantly I'm worried. Okay. You know, my son's going to be driving. He'll be 16 in February and all he wants to do is drive. And it's like, I really like, don't want you on the road yet. Like I'm not ready, but you have to like, let them be themselves and make those choices. And it's really, it's really hard. Also, your son is the age you were when you started getting into trouble. So do you think about that? I do. So I think about the fact that, you know, me and his dad aren't together either. And during the school year, he's with his dad. He's only here on the weekends. So that's a whole story as well. But 
you know, I, I worry he has a girlfriend. Like I worry, are they having sex? Like, I don't want to ask him cause that's awkward. And he's not really going to tell me anyways, if they are. And you know, her, you know, his dad allows her to spend the night and I'm like, eek, like, I don't allow that. So I worry a lot about him getting into drugs, like drinking. I don't care about smoking weed. I don't condone him smoking weed at 15, but like, I worry more about him drinking and getting into like drug drugs, like heroin, cocaine, all that stuff, because I know what it's like to, I can remember being 15 so vividly and just wanting to fit in. You're at that age where you just want to fit in. So you, sometimes you make choices based on that and not what yourself is telling you. So I always tell my kids like every day I see them, like believe in yourself, trust yourself, listen to yourself because I was never taught that. And I want to make sure that they know that you have the answer. Like if it doesn't feel right to you, do not do it period. Like you don't owe anyone an explanation, but I still worry that at the end of the day, like that pressure can take over that. And they're not going to be hearing my voice in their head saying, I'm going to be thinking, I just want to be liked. Okay. Let's do this dumb thing that I know I shouldn't be doing, you know? So it's scary. I feel like, you know, you said that he doesn't care about if somebody would say something to him and you're saying Mm -hmm. that he's resilient and you're giving him all these like really reassuring messages. So that's got to make a dent. Yeah. And he says too, like his father is an alcoholic. So, and he tells me all the time, he's like, mom, like, I don't think I'm ever going to drink He goes, I might have a drink here or there, like with friends. He's like, but I'm not, he goes, I don't really want to. I'm like, then don't because it's not worth it. I understand wanting to party. And especially when he goes to college and stuff like that temptation is going to be there, but he knows what alcohol can do to you. And I, you know, I don't like that his father's an alcoholic, but at the end of the day, like that taught him at an early age, like, this is what I don't want. So, you know, he knows that at least in the back of his mind too. If his father is an alcoholic, why is he living with him? Hmm. So when I got arrested, I like, didn't know what was going to happen to me. And, you know, his father was abusive towards me when we were together, but afterwards we made up and we had a pretty cordial relationship. Like he'd hang out, we'd go places together and stuff just to keep the family together for our son. And so I got arrested and all that happened. And they like him and his girlfriend, like kind of, they, I won't want to say they judged me, but they looked at me differently because they didn't realize how bad it really was. And whenever I got sentenced, the judge allowed me to have a few days to figure out what I was going to do with my son. And so I asked his dad to take care of him while I was away. And he said he would, which I was grateful for. And when I got out, I was supposed to get him back because I had primary custody of him, you know, when I wasn't in jail. And when I came out, I was doing all this stuff. I got accepted into this program where they're going to give us an apartment, like really help us. And his dad was like, no, you're just trying to get this apartment because you have a boyfriend and you want to live with him. Because I was staying in a three quarter house at the time and I couldn't have guys over, but I was single, mind you. And he hired this fancy attorney and I had no money to my name and I get to court and I was demolished. Like I had no voice. I had no, like that he took him from me, took everything from me. And I remember thinking, you know, why is this happening? And, you know, I didn't agree with how 
they were living. And I've, I was trying all these things. I was like, well, I'll call CYS. That'll fix this. And of course, like they didn't like take me seriously because I'm a bad liar. So I was like, yeah, I'm his mom. And they instantly like tuned it out. You know, it was just, you know, bullshit, you know, blah, 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 whatever. Like they don't want to hear that. Like, I guess they were assuming that it was like, he said, he said, she said, stop like a typical, you know, banter back and forth with exes and kids, but it wasn't that. And so I stopped fighting and I just let it be what it was. And I took what I could get. And now like during the summers, I have him a lot. So that's that I'm grateful for, but I, at this age, I don't want to take his dad to court anymore because he can make his own choice at this point, according to the courts. And I don't want to give him any unnecessary stress. Things are good right now. And I'm doing what I can. And my husband and I support him through and through, and he's doing very well in school. He's excelling. So I really don't see any true red flags. I just wish that they would clean their house. So (laughs) that's all I say. Well, I'm glad that he's excelling. That's amazing. And that's really selfless of you to not want to mess that up. That's got to be hard though on days. It's really hard, you know, especially like when I don't live in the school district that they're, and we're not that far apart, we're like 15 minutes apart, but like, I can't have him during the school year because of that, because I can't, cause I have my, my daughter, oh goodness, my life, uh, my daughter and her father, we have 50, 50 custody and her father is, I don't even know the right word, but we don't speak and he's very volatile. So like, we don't mess with that schedule. So I take her to school but she starts an hour after my son does. So if I had him here, it it would just be too much. And I can't, I can't drive around the country every single day. So, and that's what it feels like sometimes, but it's very hard. And it's hard when I want to be there for certain things. And I can't be because of, you know, him being there and I'm here and it's just, it's quite complicated, but my son and I have a really good relationship. So we talk all the time. So we're good, but it is hard being a mother and not being there to like help him if him and his girlfriend have a fight or, you know, things like that, that happen in teenage life that I feel like I should be there for. And I'm not, and then I'll beat myself up over that. Like I'm a bad mom. Like I was just talking to my husband about this today, actually about me thinking I'm a bad mom. Like I'm convinced I'm a bad mom. And I was like, and I don't know why. He's like, and he said, he thinks it's because when my son was very young, I was gone. You know, I wasn't a good mom back then. I was doing drugs. I was partying. I was, I wasn't picking him up when I was supposed to, I went to jail for fuck's sake. Like I just, and I think I hold that against myself, So I try to make up for it. Like I buy him things or I like make sure he, even though I really don't want to drive all the way to his girlfriend's house, I do so that he can see her. Like I do things that. I think I'm like making up for it, so to speak, but it's really hard. Yeah. We got to go back to that whole like little chapter for the people that don't know. So just give me the quick and dirty at 15. You went from reading whole textbooks (laughs) and being a goody two shoes to finding this party girl, getting on drugs. Mm -hmm. Do you remember like the first time you tried drugs or what that was like? I remember the first time I did everything. So the first drink I had, I remember it like it was yesterday and I was scared to 
death. Like I remember going, Oh, like I can't, like, this is bad. I'm not old enough to drink. Cause this is how I was the goody two shoes. And she's like, come on, just try it. So I tried it. And I was like, it was like orange juice and vodka, I think is what I was drinking. And I was like, Oh, this doesn't taste bad. And then it went to beer and it was a party, party, party. That's all I did was drink. And I was dating this guy back then. I was about 17 at this time. And he was a huge pothead. So he, he was dealing weed, smoking it. And, but he was very against me doing it because he wanted to protect me. He was like, I don't want you doing this because I know what's going to happen. Even smoking cigarettes. I really wanted to smoke cigarettes too. I was just craving all these cool kid things. And eventually he caved and I smoked weed with him. And I remember going, wow, this is it. Like, this is so fucking cool. And it was, and I have nothing against weed. I honestly don't think marijuana is like an actual drug. I think it's medication. So I, I don't regret smoking weed, but at the age I was, I think I should have not, but, and then it went to college time and I got introduced to benzodiazepines, which Clonopin, Xanax, they're all the same thing. And I absolutely fell in love. I snorted that Clonopin and I looked at my friend at the time who, who gave it to me. And I said, thank you. It was just like, I was like unleashed. Like I remember, like I can vaguely remember cause I was forgetting days of my life. Cause I guess I didn't know this back then, but benzodiazepines fuck with your memory. All I remember is like, we were like, Oh, let's go swimming at college. And we had a pool an indoor pool. And I remember being in the pool, but I don't remember like how I got there. Like, I don't remember anything after I just remember being in this pool and then I remember doing opiates, lovely Vicodin ESers were my, my jam back then. And first time I ever did pills, I overdosed and I almost died. Like, I don't even know like how I survived it because I didn't know what I was doing. So I probably took enough pills for about 10 people in less than 24 hours. And when I woke up the next morning, the guy I was hanging out with, he was like, let's go smoke a joint. And I was like, okay. And we go outside. I hit the joint and I lost all functioning of my body instantaneously. I saw rainbows literally over everything. I remember going, whoa, dude. And then boom, I just fell. I remember like him, like talking to me, but I don't think I wasn't fully conscious. And I saw my life flash before my eyes. Like I saw myself as a child. Like in that moment, no I saw everything and I remember it so vividly. And the next thing I know, I wake up and I thought it was like an hour later and I was in a hospital bed and they were trying to take my clothes off. And I said, I was like, get the fuck off me. Cause I didn't know where the hell I was or who was trying to take my clothes off. Like I had no idea what was going on. And I asked if I could go home to my dorm and I had to call my friend who I was being very not nice to because of, I was doing drugs. And she was like, do you realize what time it was time it is? And I'm like, no, I was like, isn't it like 11 o'clock? And it was like some crazy, it was like 4am or something ridiculous. And I was like, what? I was so confused. And I had this whole like epiphany moment where I thought I was going to take over the world to be a philosopher. And I don't know, crazy. And then there was cocaine and cocaine was like magic. It like, I remember being afraid of it. I was afraid of everything before I tried. I had fear, but I didn't listen to my fear. I just said, huh, fuck it. What's the worst that could happen? And my friend, this is after I failed out of college due to the partying and not going to class. And my friend and I were hanging out again. We got a place together. Same friend from 
before college and we go to this bar and she's like, dude, she's like, I want to go and hang out with these guys at this other bar. It's like, okay. And then all of a sudden we're at somebody's trailer in the trailer park. And she goes, we're going to do cocaine. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I've never done Coke before. And she's like, come on, try it. And I had picked up some random dude too. So I had my random dude with me and we're like hanging out. He was like, well, if you want to do it, just do it. And like, he didn't do it. And I was like, okay. Like I felt pressured. So I was like, I'm just going to do it. And one of the worst decisions I ever made, I instantly fell in love. I couldn't get enough of it. We were doing cocaine all day, every single day, crashing out. I was working at a nursing home at the time that I got addicted to cocaine. And I remember being like completely strung out, out of my mind. And I'm just sweating bullets. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't be here right now. And I'm helping this old lady put her like nylon socks on her feet. And I'm just like shaking. I'm like, I can't be here. And I, it was horrible. And then, yeah, that's all the drugs I've done. Well, I did Suboxone too. Did the lady uh, notice? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. She's like, I got it. <laughs> My hands are less shaky than yours. <laughs> like I'm just, you know, coming off cocaine binge. It's cool. I got you. <laughs> Yeah, it was bad. I quit that job out of fear because they started, I think they started picking up on my issues and they were going to, they're threatening to do drug tests. And I freaked out and I just never went back. That's how I lived my life back then. I just never, I would just run away. I wouldn't deal with anything. I would just like, poop, I'm gone. What were you trying to not deal with though? <sighs> well, there was a lot of pain, you know, for my parents' divorce. I never dealt with that. I was told at the age of 15 to just get over it. So I never felt like, again, like I had a voice and that if I was sad, I shouldn't be. So I kind of tried to hide my sadness. And then at age 19, I got pregnant to a man and I gave my daughter up for adoption. And after that, I thought I was okay. And I, I wasn't. So I think a lot of my using and toxic relationships stemmed from pure abandonment issues. And then on top of that, me feeling like I abandoned my own flesh and blood. Yeah, that's a lot. And you were so young. I was. She'll be 18 this May. So yeah, it was a long time ago. Did you ever think of not having her? I did. So whenever I first found out I was pregnant, I was like, well, I'm going to have an abortion. Like I'm too young. I, at the time, I really wanted to go back to college and try again. And I was like, I can't ha- be pregnant, you know, but I couldn't go through with it. Like, I remember the doctor, like when you have an abortion, like the doctor will call you and I just felt very creeped out by him. And I was like, I, I can't, can't do it. I'm not doing it. And the guy who I had her with was sexually abusive to me. So I left him and I found out family secrets from his family. And I was like, I'm not allowing her to be brought up in this environment and now I'm homeless. So what can I give her? Yeah, that's a lot to think about when you chose to do the adoption thing. How did you navigate that? I don't remember. Like, I remember like my mom going with me, like supporting me in it. And I remember like the woman who ran the agency that I went through. She was amazing. She retired now, but I mean, amazing. Like this agency was wonderful. And whenever I left my, my daughter's dad at the time, they have a house for pregnant women live in who either if you're giving your baby up for adoption or not. And so that's where I went. I stayed with them and they helped me and through, you know, being pregnant and making sure I got the care I needed and stuff like that. But yeah, it was, 
It was a hard choice at such a young age, but it was the right choice. I, I did what I needed to do to protect her because I knew I couldn't do it on my own. Wow. And part of the time, like we talked about in the beginning, you were in jail. Well, no, I was in jail also. Oh, that was, was a different a, pregnancy, the different pregnancy. Okay. Yeah. I, so I have two daughters who I placed for adoption. They're with the same family. So they're actually sisters. Wow. Uh, yeah. Because I wouldn't do it any other way. I was like, they need each other. At least they have each other. They're blood sisters. But when I got pregnant right before getting sentenced, I remember thinking, well, I'm pregnant, so I'm not going to go to jail. And then when I did, I was like, well, I I need to do something. And it took, I don't remember when I decided to place her as well. Cause it wasn't right away. I thought I was going to keep her. And that one was much harder than the first one. That was a very hard choice. And the situation when I gave her up, like the family came and I got to meet my oldest daughter. And I think she was probably like five, four or five. Like she was still pretty young. And they brought her in and I met her and it was wonderful. And my son was there and we, you know, I have a picture, not with my oldest, but my son with me and my baby. And then, but the part that was hard was giving her up because I was like, well, I want to hand my daughter to them. Like, I want to, you know, I want this to be like, here, like, here's my gift to you. And, you know, my oldest daughter was in there with the room with them. And I remember walking her in and I go to hand her over and I like, lost it. And I scared my oldest. Cause I just, I couldn't, I was just like hysterically crying and it was horrible. Um, yeah. I don't know how you did that. I don't either. Like when I look back on it and now, like, since I'm talking about it, like I never publicly, I, I hide that because I think people will judge me, but now it's like, I, I can't, I can't hide it. Cause it's part of my story. And I reached out to the agency cause I used to get pictures And I reached out to them and I was like, I haven't gotten pictures in like years. I'd like to check in on them. So they sent me old pictures and I just got an email today that the family sent them new pictures and I'm going to be getting them in the next couple of days. So I'm excited for that. And now that my oldest will be 18, her adoptive mother said that uh, she's leaving it up to them when they hit 18, whether or not they want to meet me. So I'm kind of trying to emotionally prepare myself for either choice because if she doesn't want to meet me, I can't be upset about it. Like I'm going to be hurt, but I can't hold that against her, you know, cause later in life she might decide to meet me. And that's great. Like I want all of my kids. Like, I want to have a picture. I envision it with all of my kids, you know, all of us just having a good time together. That's a huge, huge dream of mine. Aw. Yeah. Like, do you imagine what your relationship could be like with them? I imagine not so much with the younger one, but with my oldest, for some reason, like I feel it. I feel that I, I it's weird. It's like out of nowhere. I'm like, Ooh, like I feel something like something's going to happen with her, you know? And I think that me and her, I see us being close, but not on like a necessarily mother daughter front, but like friends. Like I see her coming to me with certain things and wanting to share things with me and us going out to eat together, you know, every once in a while and just keeping in touch and her having my phone number and texting me. And like, that's what I envision. That's what I want. I want, I want to know that she's okay. And that I want her to know that I'm here for her, even though like I wasn't when I had her, I'm, I'm, I've always been here though. Like I always think about them 
and I pray for them. I hope the best for them. And I love, I cannot wait to get the pictures of them because I want to know what she looks like so bad. (laughs) So what was it like that one time when you saw her? It's like a dream. When I think back, it's hard for me to really remember my emotions, but I know I held it together for the most part until I, you know, that one point, but I remember seeing her and just thinking, wow, like she was clean and she had on nice clothes and she loves her parents. Like I just, I was just in awe of the whole situation. I was like, I did the right thing. I gave her the life that I couldn't. Oh my God. That gives me chills. Oh my God. Wow. That's really selfless. That is amazing. Like on, on their birthdays, like, do you think about them then? I don't remember their birthdays and I always felt guilty about that. But when I talked to the agency, she said, that's totally normal. Like birth mothers tend to, um, that's, it's trauma. So you block things out. I know the months they were born. So my oldest is May and my youngest is August, but she's not actually my youngest now, but she was for a long time. So, but yeah. Wow. That is interesting how trauma can just totally erase. Yeah. Like there's things like now that I'm like opening up and like telling my story, I'll be like talking to myself, like recording my episodes and I'll just be like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot that that happened to me. Like, oh, add that to the list. That's happened too. <laughs> so. Okay. So we got to the point where you're partying and you've tried all these party drugs and mm-hmm. you're no longer scared of doing it. Nope. Not at all. Yeah. And then, you know, the huge turning point of my story was when I met this older man, very older, probably old enough at the time to be my, I don't want to say grandfather, but older than my dad. And we were at me and my friend went to a strip club because my sister, I, I tend to, I, te- I teeter with this. Sometimes I say my friend, but it was my sister. It was a stripper back then. And so we go to the strip club to see her. She was in town dancing. I go and I'm sitting at the bar and this older guy's like, Hey, he's like, I was talking to him about like my life. I was drunk. I don't know who knows what I was telling this guy, but I just remember him saying, Oh, I have a job for you. I have this multi-million dollar business and I'm going to pay you all this money and you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, sold, <laughs> you know? And, but later on I found out that that's not the truth. And he was trying to pay me to date him, but then he says, Oh, but there'll be no sex don't worry. Like, I'm not going to want you to have sex. Okay. Like, I guess you can pay me to, it was weird, but I needed money. So I said, okay. And one of the times I went out with him by myself, I wouldn't let him know where I lived. So I would have him pick me up at a parking lot and park my car and get into his car. And that day he was like, well, let's go back to my apartment. I was like, I really want to go home. Like I didn't, I felt weird about it, but I was like, okay. Like I was, I was scared, you know? And we get there and I was like, can I, can you take me back to my car? He's like, yeah. He's like, but come back here, like lay down with me in his bedroom. And I'm like, oh, great. What did I get myself into? And I was dating someone at the time. So he kept, my boyfriend kept texting me. And this guy says to me, if your phone goes off one more time, I'm going to fucking. He said, I'm going to effing kill you. And I was like, okay. He was like, swallowed my pride or whatever you want to say. And I put my phone down he sexually assaulted, like not like, I don't want to downplay it. Cause it was still very traumatizing, but like, he didn't like forcefully have sex with me. Like he was just like trying to get me to do things I didn't want to do. I kept saying, no, I really, I really don't want to do that. We didn't actually have sex, but other things did occur. And after that, like months go by. So that happens and months go by and it was my friend's birthday. 
and we were broke. She wanted cocaine and ended up contacting him again and all this stuff. And then she wakes up the next day and says, you know what, dude, she goes, why don't we just rob the guy? I was like, Hmm, I doubt we're going to go through with this in my head. So it's like, yeah, sure. Let's do that. And it became a thing. (laughs) So (laughs) we involved three other people. We were collecting knives to take with us and crazy. And I was the only one who had a car. So I'm driving to this guy's apartment and I looked over at her and I said, we're going to jail tonight. I really don't want to do this. I said, I'm going to, she goes, fine. I'll fucking drive then. And I was like, okay. And I pull off the highway. Amanda pulls off the highway. I literally get out of the car. I don't run. I don't say, fuck you. Like I'm not doing this. And then I proceed to get back into the car and sit in the passenger seat and allow her to drive because I couldn't risk her not being my friend. Couldn't handle that. And so the robbery happened. I didn't actually do anything as I freaked out. So I like ran out of the room. Like we were supposed to get him in the bathroom. It's this whole elaborate plan that failed. Lo and behold, we didn't even get out of that parking lot and I'm being pulled over, arrested at gunpoint. So like, like in the movies, like on this huge major street, people are looking down the other side, like at us while this is happening. Cops are like, hands up, you know, driver, hands up. And I'm like shaking to death. And all of a sudden there's guns drawn at me and I'm being arrested. And then I'm literally like late. I I don't remember how they got me on the ground, but I'm face down on the pavement, face fucking down on the pavement, crying. Like I can't even describe the tears that were coming out. And so I tell the cops everything, which was a bad move because they promised me I would get out. But I know now we don't, we don't do that because I did not get out. I had a $10,000 straight bond. And that means that I forget how much it cost to bail me out, but it was a lot of money. And I'm now in holding in the most deplorable place you could ever imagine being with my friend and the guys, like they were, they could see us like in holding, like the guys are like over here and the girls were here or whatever. And they all now know that I told the truth because there was a written statement that they all have in their hands. So now I'm like, Oh, great. Now I'm just going to be beat up. This is fantastic. But they all got bailed out. I didn't. I was in main population for a week after I got arrested before my mom and one of my exes were able to get the money together to get me out. Whoa. How did they come up with it? My ex had to wait for his paycheck to to come in. And I think my mom had a little bit of money saved or something like that. I don't remember. That is so uncomfortable too. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, when we want to go back to my dad for a second, he was the first person I called and he literally told me that Mandy, you made your bed. Now you got to lay in it and hung up. Didn't ask me what happened. Didn't ask why I was in jail. Still to this day, unless he's listened to my podcast, he has no idea what happened at all. No clue. Whoa. Had you ever gotten in any kind of trouble like this before? Like, had you ever been arrested? Nope. No way. Nope. Never even had detention in school. (laughs) You weren't getting in trouble for like chewing gum or anything? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Wow. So that's a pretty crazy reaction from your dad Mm -hmm. because this was not like normal behavior for you. (laughs) No, you know, and I think, I think in his, I guess, defense, so to speak was like, he was sick of it because, you know, I go to college, I fell out and then, you know, I'm overdosing. I I ran away with some uh, 
of stupid shit when I was a teenager. You know, I ran away with this guy and, you know, but it was typical teenage stuff. And all I wanted was his attention. That's all. And now I know like that's, I just wanted him to see me and care about me and it never worked. It always backfired. And then when I thought, okay, like this is when he's going to pull through, he's going to pull through for me. He's going to get me out of here. He's going to help me. And he didn't let me down. Have you seen him care for somebody else the way you wish he would care for you? Yeah. I have a 15 year old sister. Yeah. And we were at a wedding recently, not too, too recently, but sort of, and they're just like inseparable. They have inside jokes. He takes her fishing. She has everything she could ever want. You know, they have a really nice house and everything's just from the outside. I don't know what it is on the inside, but like, it seems like she has the father that I want and it's not her fault, but I don't have a relationship with her because I just, I, I, it's weird. It's a weird feeling like to see somebody else get exactly what I wanted and I can't even have it now. Yeah. I was going to say like, it's kind of like one of those situations where like he can't win because even if he tried, I don't know if it would work. Yeah. Like at my birthday a few years ago, he actually came, my husband invited him because my husband knows how much my father means to me, even though he's let me down repeatedly, I would do anything to be close with my father. And he came, he apologized. His wife apologized to me for everything, you know, not being there for me and that they, they failed me and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like this is everything I've ever wanted, but nothing changed. Nothing changed. Too bad you didn't have that shit recorded. You're like, can I just like replay that over a few times at least yeah. on the days where I'm like thinking about this? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, now like with my dad, like if he were to call me right now and say, Amanda, like, can you like come over? I would be there. But no matter how much my dad has hurt me, I have unconditional love for him. And I don't know why, like, I don't know why I have this like nagging need to be close with him still I'm 30 I'm about to be 38 years old and I still want my daddy like I I feel stupid but that's just it's always been the end result I wanted I want him to be proud of me I want him to see me I want him to know me as who I am today and stop looking at me like I'm still that person I was when I was making all of my mistakes I wonder what made him apologize to you that one time I always wondered that too, because I don't know, like, it's not like I had some conversation with him. There was nothing really happening. You know, I don't, I I don't know. Listen, I was drunk, wasted at this, my birthday that he came to and I'm singing karaoke and my dad was cheering me on and everything. I'm like, this is the best. And it hasn't happened since. I don't, I don't know. It was like, he had a, he like had a glimmer of something and then it just fizzled out. I I don't, I have no idea. So when you went to prison, is it technically prison? No, I didn't go to prison. I went to, uh, yeah, I went went to to jail. (laughs) I know the difference actually may have seen the inside of one also. Oh, really? (laughs) Isn't that a great place to be? (laughs) I've called my dad from a cell before he came to get Uh. me. Yeah. You know, whenever I found your podcast, I was like, wow, like, I want that relationship with my dad. Like, that's so fucking cool. Like you have no idea. Like I absolutely love it. Like I love that you and your dad have this show together and that you're close and you just seem to have, like when you 
I don't know if it's like your older episodes, but like when he's like, can you sing us a song? And I was like, it brings tears. It, it, it like chokes me up Aww. because that's what I want with my dad. I would love if my dad was involved in my podcast. Like I'd be like, okay, dad, like you listen and tell me your thoughts. <laughs> Let me just tell you though, as a teenager, I definitely wanted to like run away and push the boundaries. And when mommy said no, daddy said yes. And yep. there were times where me and my daddy were not besties and we have come a long way. So I just want to tell you, it has not always been that way. There have been many peaks and valleys. Yeah. Oh, when I listen to your show and all that, like it, it honestly, like it warms my heart. It's just, it's something about, I've never seen anything like your podcast and I'm so grateful. Like, honestly, Craig Stanlin is the reason why I found your, that it's, I'm a creep. I'm a creeper. I should say, So like you commented on something of his and I was like, who is this Rena? Like, who is this? And I started investigating like, Hmm, she has a podcast. Hmm. Better call daddy. What is that? And I started listening. I was like, Oh, this is good. <laughs> I must Aww. be on the show. <laughs> Craig is getting a shout out on lots of episodes. He is like a web of goodness. Yeah, he's he's pretty cool. I uh, He's coming into my group next week, my Facebook group to do a live interview. We're going to talk more about his book and like what he's doing now because my podcast, he's talking all about like his life story. So I was like, we need to have you come in because you're awesome. <laughs> so. <laughs> Okay. Well, we're getting ready to add another generation right now. You ready for this? My daughter wants to say hi to you. Oh, come sit on my lap. She put on some makeup for this. <laughs> this is hi. Celia. Hi, hi, Celia. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Amanda's telling her story. She's a mommy. I am to an eight-year-old and a 15-year-old. I'm 10 and I'll be 11 in a few months. Ooh, happy early birthday. That's exciting. <laughs> Did you think of anything that you would like to ask her? You can ask her anything. I forgot. You forgot? <laughs> I remember last week we were talking about it and then I forgot. Yes. So I was telling her about your story, the part about being pregnant in prison. You know, and in being pregnant in jail was, it was different because I've been pregnant outside of jail, but it was like, it, my child saved my life in there because I feel like if I wasn't pregnant, that I may have gotten picked on or, you know, something bad could have happened because I was so vulnerable and I just wanted people to like me, but being as though I was pregnant, like people wanted to help me and give me things. And, you know, once I was in work release, I had more opportunities to eat other foods. <laughs> so, um, which was good, but yeah, it was, it was different. That actually kind of warms my heart that people were more careful around you or like cared about you and didn't want to hurt you because you were pregnant. That's actually like humanity right there. Oh, these women that I was in jail with weren't like, so I always say like, if I had met them on the street somewhere, I would have judged them. I would have said, Oh, like, look at her. And then like, when I was in behind bars with all of them, I looked around, I'm like, wait, I'm here with them. I'm no better. And guess what? We're all surviving the only way we know how. And a lot of times it we were all in it together. Like, yeah, there were arguments, there was relationships, there was drama, but at the end of the day, all we had was each other. And that's what we did. I bet you never imagined you would be there. No, no. Considering I had never even gotten detention. Right. I was like, I'm really going to jail. Like I can't get out. I can't, I couldn't get out of it. Like I was, my mind will instantly go to, how do I get out? How do I get out? I need to run away. I need to run away. And there was no running away. I had to literally face it and deal with it. And that was really hard for me too, because I'm, I'm a runner. 
Yeah, Ashley. So there is a period where you were bailed out. Yeah. Then there was like a whole almost year. So you're in like this limbo between, okay, I got arrested and I, I don't know if I am a felon. I don't know if this record's going to show up on background checks. And you live like that for like almost a whole year of your life where you just don't, you have no idea what's going to happen to you. So that led me into some dark places too. But yeah, it was about a year before I got sentenced and got convicted of a felony offense. How do they keep tabs on you during that period? Like, I think even Craig said he wanted to run. Oh, I wanted to run numerous times. There's different court appearances you have to make. And then if you don't make those court appearances, like you're out on bail. So if I were to flee, my ex and my mother would have been liable for $10,000 because I left. So that's kind of what kept me in line was I can't, I can't do that. And what did you do during that period? Is that when you were doing the work release stuff? No. So work release is part of jail. So in between arrested and being sentenced, I, with your daughter here, I feel awkward saying this, but I, um, I, I, okay, bye. (laughs) Bye. I was like, I don't think this is appropriate. Okay. No, that's totally fine. (laughs) But no, I, I was a stripper. I started using again. I was drinking all the time. I was in a relationship with a man. I don't even like calling him a man, to be honest with you, but he was just horrible. Like he didn't physically abuse me. He was just horrible. Like he expected me to pay all the bills. He, he wouldn't go get a job. If he did, it would last like a day. So when I was a stripper, I was really good at first of not getting into relationships with the clients, but then all of a sudden, because I was so like up in the air with my whole life, I started like falling in love with these men. So I started having relationships with them outside of the club and ended up in some really bad situations, ended up trying Oxycontin, which probably wasn't a great idea. And I ended up, that's how I ended up pregnant. The guy I got pregnant to was a client of the club and me and him were in like an actual relationship. Okay. I didn't know about the stripping chapter. (laughs) So what happened was, is I was broke, of course. And the guy I was with that I mentioned, um, we were looking at the want ads and I was like, well, why don't you get a job? And he was like, well, I don't really know what I could do that would make much money. And I don't remember the exact wording of the conversation, but I saw an ad that there was an amateur night at a local club. And I was like, oh, I was like, I should do that. And he was like, yeah, you should like, imagine how much money you would have if you went and did that because you have the body for it. I was like, okay. So like I did it. Like I went to amateur night and the women were so nice to me and welcoming. I was like, okay, like, I think I got this, but it was never something I thought I would do. And I was so ashamed and the shame of it, I think is part of what also drove me to start drinking every night. I mean, I was drinking so much. I couldn't even tell you if I was sober ever. I was stripping seven days a week. I was drinking, I was doing drugs. Like it was that whole period of my life is a haze. Like sometimes I'll remember things that I wouldn't have remembered yesterday, like talking about it. But, you know, I, I was in a situation where I went to this guy, a client's house where I had, I didn't know him from anything, but he was real popular with the women at the club. And I didn't know why. And I get to his house. And I mean, there were so many guns in this guy's house. I was so scared, but he like lived with his parents. Like it was really weird. And it was like a really bad part of the city. And I'm like, where am I? But he had drugs. 
And that's when it clicked. I was like, this is why you're popular with all the women at the club because you have the oxy or the heroin or whatever they're after. And that's who I, I did oxy with. Yeah, fuck it. I'll just do oxycotton. That's cool. But yeah, I mean, there was a lot of very bad situations that I wound up in because of being a stripper that I don't know how I survived them. I don't, I, ha- I have angels. That's all I have to say. I have, there's angels. There's something looking out for me because I should not be here after all the shit that I've been through. Wow. That's crazy to think about. Mm-hmm. It's like, you- I'm telling someone else's story. It's not, I don't identify with it. It's weird. Like I'm not, it's, it's really strange. I just, I can't believe you went from like being so studious and like just wanting to be liked to like this crazy chapter mm-hmm. that you said you just don't even barely identify with. Yeah. It's like, when I tell that part, it's like, whoa, like, I can't believe I was taking my clothes off. Like, I don't even like being naked in the light with my husband, let alone fucking strangers. Like, what was I doing? You know? And and I can't, I don't have that answer. Like, I just think it was the money was a huge factor. And also I felt like I was liked because there was men throwing money at me. So I was liked and men liked me and they would buy me drinks and they would want to take me out and all that stuff. So I think that was a huge part of it, but I I still can't believe I did that. It's almost like I, I didn't even want to tell that part of my story. I was like, I don't think I should tell that. My husband was like, why? He's like, then the whole thing doesn't really make sense. If you leave that out, he's like, you know, I'm like, well, okay. And then when I started telling him, I'm like, okay, I'm fine with this. Like, it doesn't make me like cry or anything like that, but it's, it's weird to talk about. (laughs) I will say that it's really weird to talk about. The part that's a little weird for me is like the fact that you said all these girls are nice. Like, oh, they weren't for, (laughs) for very long. I actually, me, (laughs) I actually almost kicked one of them down steps because this bitch kept trying. I think it was like over a song, like something so stupid. And she was so like, just one of those people where you just see her and you just want to smack her. Like she just had that face and that attitude and I couldn't stand her and we were fighting. I'm drunk. And I was like, I I was like, "Mm." and then I like sought myself. I was about to push her down the steps. I, I could not handle her. Those women are fierce, fierce. There were a select few that I became friends with that were actually nice, but how did you meet your husband? Did you meet him in recovery? Oh no. My husband (laughs) was in a band with my, my, my ex who I was with for seven years, the the father of my daughter. And whenever me and my ex first met, I met him as well. So I've known him for fuck, like we've been married almost five years. So like 10, 11, 12 years, but we hated each other. (laughs) What happened there? Well, I should put air quotes. We hated each other, but I like, we would make fun of each other. Like I would talk shit on him. Like I remember one time, like I confided in who I thought was a friend of mine and said that, you know, my son's dad was being abusive towards his woman. And, you know, my husband was there and he didn't do anything about it. And then that friend ended up like telling him that I said he was abusive. So all kinds of drama, let me tell you. And I was using then too. So, so much drama. And whenever I left him, my son's dad, he's good for this. Like that was happening. And he was like, Oh, like, let's call Acker. And I was like, Oh, but he hates me. I was really sad. Like I was having a rough time. And I was like, but he hates me. Like, he's not going to care of like, you know, about hanging out with me or anything. But lo and behold, there's, there's Acker, my husband now on this screen time. 
And I'm like, oh, hey. And it that was history. Like we instantly clicked. We confessed to each other that we both liked each other the whole time, but you know, it never happened. And I was, I was always with X and or he was with somebody or whatever. And the moment I fell in love with my husband was not after we started dating. It was, he was over my ex and I's apartment years ago, jamming with, you know, they're in like another band or whatever. And we were sitting on my couch and we were sitting there talking that his smile, I just, I'll never forget that moment where he smiled at me and my brain said, I love you, but I didn't do anything about it. I kind of just didn't have a backbone back then. So I just kept staying with the guy who I actually didn't stand, but that's when I fell in love with him. And I've been holding that flame for him for that long. That was years ago. And now that we're married, like I can't imagine life without him. Like, I don't know how we, I just, we weren't ready for each other yet back then. Well, I hope you get that smile a whole lot more now. (laughs) I do. (laughs) Yeah. He's my best friend. Like he's, he's everything like without him. Like I, I would crumble. Like I, I, I hate to say that I need him, but I do. I need him. He's everything. What is he, he keeps like me as saying, a dad? Well, he's a stepdad, so we don't have any kids of our own yet. That's something that might be in the making. We're not sure, but he's wonderful with my kids. Like he loves them as if they're his own. And even though we have issues with my daughter's dad, like he doesn't let that inhibit them having a relationship. Like he truly loves my kids, like, and would do anything for them. Like, it's not like I'm parenting and he's just like on the sidelines. Like he's actually involved with both of them. He's great. And I hope that we get to have our own soon because me too. (laughs) That's exciting. Do you like yourself now? I I do. I love myself. And that's like only found that out two years ago. Like it took me a long time to, I had to hit rock bottom a lot to finally wake up and realize I needed to change myself and stop being a victim and pick myself up and figure out what the fuck is going on. Because two years ago, I, I was, I almost ruined my marriage and I was going to kill myself. I can't tell you what happened or what was speaking to me, but I had like this moment of, it was like, I just need to end my life. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting in my closet crying and I go, no, like I have to change. Like I can't leave my kids. I can't leave my husband. I have to fix this and I need to face it and deal with it and figure out what is wrong and what I need to get out of life. And then I reached out to my husband and we were, you know, he helped me get through that. And I started doing all like the self-help stuff. And that's when I started to find out, okay, oh, I need values. What are those? I need boundaries. What are those? Like, you know, and it's, that's how I got to be where I'm at today. And that was two years ago that happened. Well, I'm so glad that we're meeting at this point because me I too. am so <laughs> impressed by you. Really? This is like usually the time in the podcast where I'm like, Hey, you know, is there anything you want to ask my dad? So is there any daddy wisdom that you would like? Like, what is something even that if you had the opportunity to ask your dad, like what, what would you want to ask him? I don't know. Like, that's a hard question. I think like what I would ask your dad, you know, from his perspective of being a father, like how would he have reacted to these scenarios that have happened throughout my life? Like, would he have embraced me? Like what was, what's his thoughts on how my father reacted? Like, you know, you said like he came and got you out of jail. My dad did not, you know, and just his opinion, general opinion on, you know, from a father's point of view, from what I went through. There was a lot. 
of yelling on that car ride all the way back home. And <laughs> I it believe was it. far that I got arrested. So even though he came to get me, I should have slept the night where I was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say that like my dad's like this horrible person because he's not, but I would love to know like from your dad's perspective, because I see like just from your podcast, like I don't know, know you guys, but like, I see that I feel the connection. I'm curious. Thank you. You're amazing. I'll send you some fun things you can share. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rena. I I will be in touch with you. Okay. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. She really uh, overemphasizes the devastation of a young lady in search of, of love from her father. And if he doesn't set the right example, or give her the time of day, it can be quite devastating, can't it? Definitely. And another situation is that to start off at the end of the show, she says, what would you do, Wayne, if I had a daughter that went through all of these, we want to call them learning experiences, but really what it is is being in a black hole and just continue to fall and slide. And how does a father reach out and catch this child from the depths? of this black hole. Your father thought that with you showing no purpose, showing that you had no boundaries, he didn't know how to catch you. When you finally went to a a level where you got arrested and looks like you're going to go to jail and maybe to prison, he, he probably thought, well, maybe this is where you have to bottom out. And I'm not so sure that wasn't his choice where he, he didn't look at it that he needed to give you love but to give you maybe the hard love of where you had to now finally be accountable for your behavior. But what he's not taking responsibility for is how you got to that point and understand that maybe he's equally to blame for what happened to you. That's a change in the narrative, isn't it? It sure is. Isn't it not only important that the example of the parent is an enormous amount of responsibility that he owes his children. Because if he's excessively drinking, or if he's running out with strange women and is married, or he's stealing or robbing or killing or abusing the children or his wife, what kind of example does that set? Isn't it that rinse and repeat that you sometimes tell me that can occur? Is that we want good values, we want good purpose, we want Yes, we're all going to make mistakes, but we want to learn from them. But we don't want to be so far out of bounds where we're falling and can't get back up. But some of us want our children to have the best education. Some of us want them to have the best examples of goodness, of even whatever hobbies they might have, and promote them, encourage them to be in their corner no matter what they want to do. As long as it's constructive, uh, we want to keep our children off drugs and alcohol and pouring around and and to be lost in the desert. We certainly don't want that for our children, but we have to make sure that we give our children every opportunity not to get lost in the woods, not to be caught in the desert, not to be hit by a hurricane and be taken out to sea and drown. We've got to be able to be smart enough to limit those odds of destruction so that when they have the red flags out, you shouldn't be laying on the beach because you can get swept away. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, 
and tune in. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com.